I'm Rob. I'm E. And I'm Uncommon NASA. Count fifth. Uncommon NASA. What up? What up? Pep Love. You ready? Uh huh. Let's go. The saddest version of Under the Bulwark you ever heard Sung on the R train heading down to 53rd These newbies got sucked in, hanging on every word Natives ignoring proven Pavlovian conditions Learned a competitive balance that cannot be served Destroying ideals that you get in life what you deserve We lack pity in this city from the beginning Attack richly without fixing and leave you missing Don't fit in that it's fitting that you leave them hidden Decisions from inside the system leave you riding the rhythm Despite fixing your mission it's not quite the vision is Sight friction deep within them and then blame the victim. I'm part of the Greek revival chipping, seeing shifting, never seen in 76 when young Vic was caught in Carol. Blame on tame, ducking guns and arrow. Street pigeons, not the sweetest sparrows. But birds migrate when it's high stakes. While the rats don't share in a chance to escape. Buried in that same art train, resigned to their fate. NASA, thanks for joining us. We appreciate yeah, thanks for having me. Do people call you NASA? Yes. Okay. Good. I, I want to make sure I wasn't committing any social faux pas or. <laughs> yeah. We don't want to get too comfortable too quick, you know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's uncommon NASA to you. Thank you. <laughs> Mister uncommon. Mister NASA. <laughs> Damn it. So let's get right into it. City of School, new album. Congratulations yeah. on that. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about the about the concept, City of School. You know the the theme of the record. I always try to theme my records one way or another. I, I don't like, you know, I don't try to pitch them as concept albums, but I definitely pitch them as themed records where a lot of the songs relate to each other. And in this case, a lot of the songs started to gravitate toward me writing about sort of like my younger years in New York uh, and just, you know, writing as a younger person interacting with the city for the first time and sort of being, you know, educated by that city. And for me, that happened to be New York City, uh, but for anyone listening, it could be any city that they interacted with. Most people have that experience. So that's pretty much what the record's about. I really wanted to focus on, like, you know, the last couple records I've done, I've, I've gotten into, like, mortality a lot, and I kind of wanted to focus on life a little bit, at least for a few songs. <laughs> and uh, that kind of led me to this place with, with City at School. And when you say city, I assume mm-hmm. you're talking about Manhattan. Yeah, for me, it, that's that's what I mean, yes. Yeah. I think a lot of people outside the East Coast and outside New York maybe don't understand the difference between uh, Staten Island, like where you are, and, right. and Manhattan. I think some people, when they hear New York, they think all the boroughs are sort of close together, and they're like the same in their mind. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. You know, I, I think Staten Island for sure, but even, you know, when you're talking about Brooklyn or Queens or the Bronx, you know, those are very different places than Manhattan. I mean, right. there are even Absolutely. pockets of Manhattan that are different from each other. So, like, you know, our city here in New York is very vast and very varied um, in terms of landscape, people, everything. Yeah. Um, and that's what's, you know, great about it. It's what's beautiful about it. So, for me, like, you know, growing up on Staten Island, like, I, I as I said on the record, like, I, I got a little bit of both, you know, feelings of, like, the vibe of, like, you know, being in the shadow of a city, but also being in the middle of it at the same time. And like, mm-hmm. you know, my my parents raised me in, in out here. I don't know if they have them out in Philly or even anywhere else, but like out here, there's a lot of um, sort of suburban spr- sprawl. Yeah. And um, within that suburban sprawl, like you'll have like these uh, side door rental apartments. Like, so somebody will have like a a three-bedroom house, and then they'll have a side-door apartment, like a one-bedroom apartment on mm-hmm. the side of their house that they yeah. rent out. And my folks basically raised me that way. That was pretty much how I came up. And so I grew up within suburbia to some degree, but I never really was able to partake in it the way other kids did in the area. And mm-hmm. so I was always trying to, like, get out of that. And, um, you know, I started working in Manhattan when I was 17, and I never really stopped. I mean, I worked in Brooklyn for a while, but, like, I never really stopped working outside of, of the island. And uh, these days I live pretty close to the ferry. So when you're in this area of Staten Island, it's very much feels like any other borough. It's, it's not suburban at all where I am, actually. Yeah. And so that's sort of like my story in terms of connecting with Manhattan. I guess my point is, like, I was able to sort of, like, be far away from it. But when I wanted to be close to it, I could go and be close to it. 
you know, a lot more so than anyone that might be further away, like on Long Island or Jersey or something yeah. like that. Kind of the best of both worlds. Yeah, yeah, to some degree. I imagine there were also aspects of it that might have been a pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, man, don't get any Staten Islanders started on, like, the legacy of Robert Moses and the, the horrible mass transit system that he left behind for Staten <laughs> Island and Staten Islanders. Um, it's, it's rough. I mean, I tell people all the time, there's, like, there's a good half dozen ways to get on and off of Staten Island, but all of them are pretty shitty. Um, <laughs> you know, they all are time-consuming, and, um, you know, that's part of why, you know, me and my wife, when we decided to really put down roots on Staten Island, I mean, we would have never lived on the South Shore and still wouldn't. I mean, right. respect to our folks that still live there and make us go and visit them <laughs> in those environments. But, uh, but we... Um, you know, we wanted to live on the North Shore. We lived in a couple different places on the North Shore, and then when it was time to, like, really settle down and put down roots, we uh, were able to land in a place that's literally 10-minute walk from the ferry, so I'm mm-hmm. in the city. Now it's easy, you know what I mean? But it's very limited. There's only so many places that you can live in this area so close to the ferry. Right. And, um, you know, if I can walk to the ferry in 10 minutes and take a nice 25-minute boat ride, and then I'm on the subway and up to work, that's actually the easiest commute I've ever had in my life. And even that is like three modes of transportation just to get yeah. to my job. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking, I've done that. I've taken yeah. the ferry to Manhattan, and the first time I did it, I was like, man, I can't imagine having to rely on this on a yeah. daily basis. It's actually more reliable than most other modes of transportation. <laughs> it's just... You know, it's just slow. I mean, it's reliably right. slow, but, you know, <laughs> it goes through snowstorms. It goes through windstorms. You'd be surprised what they go through. They, they'll they keep going even when the subways are canceled. Like, it's, I mean, you could take the boat. It doesn't really take you to anything. <laughs> It'd be good with the subways are canceled. <laughs> but it does keep going a lot of times, more so than the MTA does. So why not settle in Manhattan since this, this was a place that was... Money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Money, I mean, I figured money, that was the answer, money, but money. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it. Unfortunately, it's a it's a layup answer. I mean, I talk all the time. People that are friends with me probably are super annoyed by me talking so much about how if only things were how they were in the '90s, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. I would be living in Manhattan right now sure. because you know, I mean, I do okay with my job these mm-hmm. days. You know, it took me a long time to get to that place, but I know that like even you know, taking in, you know, inflation adjustments or whatever. Like, the, the the level job that I have now, I could have lived in Manhattan back in the days. Right. You know, me and my wife could have done that back in the day. But, you know, these days it's just not possible. You, you know, you can't. I mean, you're talking about, like, to buy a place in Manhattan, you know, that you would want to live in that's not like a shoebox. Mm-hmm. You know, you would be talking about, like, at least, like, $800,000, if not, like, over a million. Right. And, um, which is insane. You know, like, that's just crazy to even say that out loud as if that's normal. Yeah. Like, um, and renting, you know, you're you're looking at, like, you know, three grand grand plus, like, a month. And then, you know, you're getting into small places. Fuck it. It's it's nuts, man. It's, you know, New York, you know, I don't have to recap the history too much, but, like, you know, when, 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 um, when our uh, Russian agent uh, mayor cleared out all of the uh, <laughs> all of the, uh, the the negativity or quote unquote from New York, he kind of set up you know King Bloomy to come in and and just sell the city to real estate people. And yeah. it, the whole city yeah. is totally different because of those. I don't know. It was like 15 years of just completely selling out the city and its natives. Yeah. You know, what I mean. Yep. I talk about it a little bit on NYST. I mean, it's just like you don't, you know, nobody's from here anymore. That's what's mm-hmm. kind of crazy about New York. And yeah. New York's always been a dope place because people want to be here, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to be here and trying to make your way in New York just like any other city mm-hmm. that somebody might want to do that in. But it's weird when you're in a room with like five or six people and none of them are from here. So, like, the things that you as a native New Yorker are talking about are like, alien to everyone in the room and all of those people have been here for like 10 years right each you know what i mean it's like mm-hmm. it's, it's very surreal uh it wasn't like that back in the day like when i first started going to shows and being part of the indie scene like everyone at that show was from a borough or yeah. you know it, people that were coming in from jersey and long island 
they would tell you that, and you'd be like, whoa, that's crazy you made that trip all the way out here for this. You know, <laughs> like, uh, now, like, nobody's really, I mean, people live here, obviously, but people aren't really from here. So. Transplants, yeah. Uh, that kind of connects with something that I has been stuck in my has been stuck in my mind after listening to City of School. You have this uh, this line in the chorus for best laid uh, best laid plans. Mm-hmm. Where you say, "I feel like a relic from another time." Uh, yeah, yeah. It kind of sounds like what what you just said. Like I remember, I'm remembering what it used to be like. Things are changing around me. What what was going through your mind when you when you wrote that? Yeah, I mean. That's certainly speaking directly to what we're talking about, and and to some degree, the whole you know clusters gets into that. Um, there's a, there's a lot of songs on that record that get into it, and like on that song specifically, you know, best laid plans a story. Basically, it's a it's a three part story about me and my friends in our in our teenage years. We were able to like find this old weird dude that was like selling a huge amount of records out of his apartment through like Village Voice ads. And we decided that we were going to go there and buy these records from this old dude. And we just, because we were young, we assumed he didn't know what the hell he was talking about. <laughs> and, like, we're going to resell them somehow, you know, and, and make money <laughs> off of it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I wrote that because I feel like anyone can sort of relate to doing something stupid in high school to make money. Um, because they thought that they were smarter than, than the next person. But in terms of that line, you know, it deals with, you know, all of that business quote-unquote that we were doing was super analog you know it was like you know calling people on phone booths to get their address to mail them a list of records you know like and that was a real thing that we did you know for a good summer or summer and fall before we you know went broke doing it and had to sell everything to a record store and and cash out Mm -hmm. but like you know that is also part of what I'm saying, like the relic of another time. It's, yeah. it's not only just that the city's changed, but it's also like the, the means by which we do things yeah. are so different. And, you know, I'm not super old, you know, it's not like I can remember like buggies and shit, you know, but like <laughs> it, it feels like it sometimes, you know what I mean? Yeah, like no, uh, yeah. with, with some of those things, because so much technology has changed over the last even 15 to 25 years, you know? Yeah. I, I think that, I don't know how old you are, NASA, but I think like our generation, Bobby and I's generation can can relate. Uh, we're both in our yeah mid and, and late thirties, and so I have these conversations with people all the time um, about how different things were back then and how we just accessed things differently. Um, it's it's just a whole it's a whole new ball game, and I I think that that for me it took a lot of a lot of the connectivity out of things. You know, things are really isolating now. And so for me, that's what's really disappointing about the digital age. Um, I feel like there's mm-hmm. not as as much camaraderie in, in just like everyday things. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I said this recently, like the digitization of communication has really actually brought us back to a much more sort of brutalist mentality towards each other. Yeah. You know, I feel like it strips away all of the humanity when you have a conversation or a dis- disagreement. You know, like these days, like, I feel like a lot of times, like, you know, when you try to, like, have, like, a friendly debate, people freak out. Freak you know, out, because yeah. they, they, they are not used to being able to have that kind of conversation in real life and then be cool an hour later. Absolutely. Like, you know, because, like, in digital world, you know, that you know you have like the the gumption to say things but in real life nobody's used to saying anything nobody's used to taking anything right you know so you know i I try these days to stay off of the internet as much as possible you know i i say all the time like i try to make my personal self as least accessible as possible online but Mm -hmm. i try to make my music as accessible as humanly possible at this point and i you know I mean, you kind of have formulas to. for doing things. Yeah, you, you have to to keep your own sanity. Yeah. There's a certain point where, you know, the, the chase and the go, go, go of like trying to promote your shit, mm-hmm. you know, eventually you reach a certain point either in age or in the amount of time you've been doing it where it just, the ends don't justify the means anymore. And mm-hmm. it's just like, you know what? I would rather not be my own like carnival barker anymore. I'd rather just make the music, put it out try to put myself in the best position as possible, you know, behind the scenes mm-hmm. and then let 
other people actually ally for what I do or not, you right. know? Yeah. 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 I listened to your, your uh, episode, the episode of your podcast, Dope Shit Podcast, for anyone listening. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I listened to your episode talking about Twitter recently. Right. And it just felt like I could connect to a lot of it, you know, like the pressure at times to feel like you have to have an opinion or comment on something and the time suck that that becomes. And you said something in particular that really stuck with me about how, how you can like read someone's post or you can read, read a timeline and agree with it. But that's far different than, you know, having the thought yourself. Yeah. I I mean, it, you know, when you're, when you're, when you consider yourself a thoughtful person, it can, it can, once you realize it, which I did realize that at one point, you know, again, like I said, like, you know, you can, you can agree with things on the internet and think that you would have reached that conclusion on your own, but it is highly possible. Maybe you wouldn't, you know, and like, there's something freeing about not seeing a timeline all the time, Absolutely. even if it's not. And it, like I said, even if it's not a timeline that's annoying you and driving you crazy, the way that people usually complain about the internet, even if it's a likable timeline for a day or two, it's still not your own thoughts and your own brain, yeah. like processing things live. Right. And um, and I, I feel super relaxed in at least in in that aspect of my life. Um, you know, not having to do that and being able to sort of like like you guys were saying about you know all of us sort of being in a certain age, you know, where you know you actually like are interacting with the world and mm-hmm. and, and participating in it instead of just like digitizing it. In these artificial times, how you staying alive? You put yourself in position to survive. Originality has been thrown in the trash. You in it for the love, voted cash. In these artificial times, how you staying alive? You put yourself in position to survive. Originality has been thrown in the trash. You in it for the love, voted cash. Stay low. Firing those that was hiring and no longer hiring. Hang up your hangups, phones no longer hang up and don't ring off the hook. Live you with nothing but a look, sitting shaking shook. These nights take the rook. While bets die by day, side I pay. Out of work in September, no job I made. Waiting line for food stamps, had to prove our ways. We couldn't do better, no matter what they say. It's 1989 when the kids don't play. Create within the mind, don't let your thoughts stray. It's 30 years later, not a damn thing changed. Now I live across the street from where they fight for a wage. I see kids that look like me, fills me with rage. Part of artificial times, just the same. Going back to being a relic from another time. How does that apply or, or does it apply at all to how you see yourself in, in like the rap game? You know, I think I, I like to consider myself current in terms of like what I'm doing. You know, I've been fortunate enough to connect with a wide variety of people with, you know, some of my previous records like Near Telephone or Halfway or uh, or Written at Night. You know, I'm very happy when I see stats and that show me like, you know, 18 to 22 demographics listening to my music at high percentages, you know, and I, and I do get that. And I'm, I'm fortunate to get that part of it is because of my music. And part of it is because of some of the media that I've received media coverage that I've received, you know, so I, I consider myself up here with, with current stuff, but at the same time, of course, there's lots of aspects of, of hip hop and of music in general and of entertainment in general that I just won't ever really understand. And that is just a large swath of music that's not made for me, right. you know. And, you know, I'm coming to grips with that. It takes a while. You know, you hear the, the frustrated rap old head <laughs> stuff all the time. And I, I try not to be that person. I, uh, I I try as hard as I can not to be that person, you know. But it's like I said, too, on the show, like when we we're talking about the Internet, you know, sometimes things that are not meant for public consumption mm-hmm you know, can be said in private and it doesn't make it a bad thing that you're saying. It just means like, hey, if I really don't like X, Y, or Z's music, I can say that amongst friends, but I don't want to be on the internet saying that because it's totally un- uncouth. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think, um, I think, of course, I have opinions, but 
ultimately I don't really – it's not in my interest or something that I'm interested in doing to, like, be upset about what somebody else is enjoying. Because, yeah, like, sure. I, I feel like I'm – again, I, I am fortunate enough that I, I am content with the amount of people that do get to hear my stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I always want the ability to be heard more so than anything else. Like, give people a chance to dislike my music. You know, like, I don't mind that. What becomes frustrating when you're a musician and when you're in hip-hop um, is when you don't feel like you're getting that chance. And there's a lot of people out there that are either starting out or that have never gotten enough love that are going to feel that way. And those people are going to have much more bitter opinions than somebody like me. So just to talk about the structure of you making an album. So I know that mm-hmm. you record and you mix your own records. Sure. And I wondered if you... You know, so you do this process alone, and I wondered if when you, when you're physically doing it, are you, are you alone, or do you have other people with you? How does that work? Well, so you know, in fairness, and 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 what's really been cool the last couple of years is my wife actually records me. Oh, that's so, dope. I, and I give her like, and I guess you know, she earns the credit like to be on there. So like most of my records, you'll see like recorded by Ruby's eyes, and that's basically like that's her. Yeah. So, you know, I was able to kind of, you know, that started with Halfway, um, which was a really personal record for me. And it was a good starting point. And when that started, it worked. And now she basically records everything that I do. Um, You know, I have my own, you know, space to record in. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been mixing my own records for years. Yeah. Um, You know, I mixed about two thirds of City S School. Uh, Count Fifth, the producer, mixed a couple of joints as well. Okay. Um, probably about a third of the record, um, just because, you know, as the producer, he had some feels for certain records as well or sure, for, yeah. for certain songs as well to, to come out a certain way. And, you know, I think that our styles kind of met where, you know, it sounds like one piece for sure. But in most cases, I mix all my own stuff, even if I'm not the producer on it. Okay. Um, you know, written at night, I produced the full thing. I mixed it. I mastered it. You know, I mean, everything that you could do, I did for that record. Yeah. Um, this one with Fifth Producing, you know, I did, I mastered the record uh, and I mixed, like I said, about two thirds of it, and we recorded all of it here uh, at my place. So, um, you know, that's kind of how the process works. But for a normal album, like if I was going to start an album tomorrow, like you know, I would re- I would write it, and then you know, my wife and I would record it, and then I would mix it, and then when the album's done, I would sequence it and and master it, and then uh, and then I get to like you know, Jazz Pants is you know, my, my art designer, um, you know, we work together. Like I tell him like sort of a loose idea or sometimes I'll turn it over to him and I go through the sort of art production role. And then, mm-hmm. you know, that I'm going through manufacturing. And I mean, I, I really do a little bit of all of it, but yeah. I, you know, I consider myself a producer and, and a rapper and a writer uh, yeah. first and foremost, because without that engine of those three things and there's nothing else to do. Yeah. When you are, you know, in your solo work and creating these projects, I've heard you say that it, it's freeing, just in comparison when you are collaborating with a group. Is it, is it also therapeutic for you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, there's nothing more powerful than being able to just wake up and write a song at any point. Yeah. You know, and, and not have to run that by anybody and not have to, you know do any wait for anyone more so is what happens sometimes mm-hmm. um you know and sometimes these days especially like if i'm in a group people are waiting on me yeah. you know because i've got my yeah. hands in a couple of different cookie jars where i'm trying to like get all these different projects done i'm trying to pace them out and um you know unfortunately sometimes things take me a lot longer to finish than i want them to but in terms of like the creative process yeah i mean it's it's great i mean i I love working with Gaja. We're working on a record together for a group called White Horse. Um, he's a Gaja from uh, Project Bloat and from Acid Rain. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done a bunch of stuff with him in the past. And uh, and I'm also doing a project with Short Fuse as our new group called Guillotine Crowns. I've done a couple records with him where we're just a duo, Short Fuse and Uncommon NASA, but that's mostly been because I've been the producer and he's been the MC. Okay. Now we're going to actually rap together. So those projects have been a lot of fun because they give me different feels, Yeah, you know, for what I can do. But 
in terms of your question, like, yeah, I mean, you know, the next record I'm doing is produced by Messiah Music. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I was able to really free flow a lot of those songs. I mean, some of those songs have been done for a little while, and then I have to finish up a few more, but, and then that'll be out hopefully in 2020. But, mm-hmm. you know, just being able to do those records without, you know, being untethered. Like, if anything, I'm the one that's slowing the records down at this point <laughs> in my life, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm I'm curious because um you so you wear a lot of hats so you mm-hmm. are a producer you're a rapper you're author and you also are a recording engineer so I I'm wondering with your background in the industry when you're listening to music as a fan does that affect the way you hear it Sure I think so for sure I mean I, I tell people all the time like I I wear a lot of hats because for the most part I chose to wear one for at least a stretch of time mm-hmm. you know before I tried on the next one you, you keep adding these skills it's yeah. like you know you, you add the skills over time and so you know that's how I've ended up being multifaceted in, in different disciplines of music and in art but as far as like how that helps you listen, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I can't turn those things off, you know, Sure. Yeah. particularly like early on, like, um, you know, I was mixing all the time and like even going to school, you know, for mixing when I was at Institute of Audio Research when I was like 18, as soon as I started getting the lessons, and, and this is true for anyone that gets lessons in recording engineering, like you're going to hear music a lot different and you either want that or you don't. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know. Um, some people, they, they don't enjoy that at all. Mm-hmm. Like they don't enjoy listening to a hi-hat that intently. Um, <laughs> it's just not a thing that everyone is built to enjoy doing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I do, you know, and, and there are times we're out here, but for the most part, especially these days with the way that we consume music digitally and MP3, I, you know, honestly, you have to be really, there's two sides to it. I, I would say two things that sort of disagree with each other in terms of mixing is like you and the way that you take in an entire song creatively like either everything is so flatlined now that you have to really try hard to mess it up mm-hmm. or everyone is just not doing as well as they used to so everything sounds the same mm-hmm. and and nobody really knows what they're doing and it's probably a blend of both of those things yeah but and so that uh, to, to the point like that kind of keeps me from overanalyzing a lot of things. Like it, it makes it to the point now where everything is kind of sounds so similar that when something sounds different, it's like earth shattering, uh, especially within mm. hip hop yeah. engineering yeah. these days. I mean, mm-hmm. who's really a recording engineer in hip hop these days? That's not, you know, either working in a larger studio, you know, at all i mean there's just you know i had peers at one point you know some of those guys are still working i mean i guess i still do have peers but like i don't know any younger guys that are doing what like me or like fred ones or earl blaze or vasos were doing yeah in those 90s periods or even the guys that came before us like doc rodriguez and you know people like that um i just i don't know who who those people are these days i could just be me being ignorant but like I'm I'm not really sure where that is today. I think, but now it's just everyone's just got Pro Tools or yeah. or whatever program, and they just they kind of hit like presets and they make it happen. And mm. if at the end of the day, like I'm not pretentious enough to not say like, look, if you're doing presets and you're doing it all in the box and and it sounds good, that's yeah. totally fine. But a like most of the time, like don't turn around and call yourself an actual recording engineer. Mm-hmm. and be like make sure that it does sound good because like yeah you know like that's the bottom line i don't care how you get there like you don't have to work as hard as i did and go to school for it and all that other stuff but yeah i i think that and and we've talked to other guests about this before about how the digital age sort of change and almost sort of diminish the craftsmanship behind you know the art and i think like what you're talking about is is just that you know it, it's 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 easy to make a record now um you know mm-hmm. i've heard it i've heard people in the industry describe it as you know as as common as going to the bathroom so yeah. you know it just because the tools are so accessible you know we we just live in a an age now where you can you can just do it yourself you don't need you know the training necessarily but i i think that really kills the art of making an album 
Yeah, I mean, I try to really make a record when I'm making a record, whether yeah. it's something I'm producing or whether it's I'm producing myself or somebody's, you know, giving me beats to produce a record for me. Like, when I put a record together, it's to put an album together. Yeah. And I think over time, like, that's helped me stand out in a world where that's just not what people do anymore. Because, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, 25, you don't really know what even holding an album is like. You know, you only know what streaming a record is. And, and that's not a format that's really made for albums. But when you are the one or two people that does make albums, it does stand out even on a Spotify type of format. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, yes, it's really easy comparatively to make a record. And I don't go back far enough where, I mean, I was trained to like cut analog tape. And, you know, I've been in studio situations like that. I also came up like recording on DA88, ADATs, and, you know, all those real hustle stuff. Yeah. from that 2000 early 2000s turnover but i don't go back to like you know i'm not like one of these engineers from like the 60s or 70s that were really doing it you know what i mean mm -hmm. so like i think there's nothing wrong with the digit digitization the trouble with that word today um of the recording process because i come from that sure. but you have to have some context for what came before you, and you have to have some training on actual recording engineering. Like, recording engineering is not about whether it's digital or analog. It's about, like, the science behind it. You know, it's about frequencies and understanding the physics of, of the speakers and and all that stuff, like, kind of goes into this, knowing what wavelength, wavelengths are like at different, at different frequency levels. Like, those are things I was trained. And those are things that you get trained as an engineer to forget, but you have to have that balance, you know. Um, if you're going to call yourself a recording engineer, you know, my, my biggest problem is when people put out records in this cookie-cutter fashion and then they think that they're a recording engineer because they, they recorded it. Right. Like, that's not engineering. That's my big gripe with yes. the way records are made today. There's also, like, a uh, general understanding. It's a, it, uh, just to give you some background, I went to school for, for engineering as well so i can relate to a lot of what you're saying but uh like i also got an education about like how the human ear works and like how we how we yeah. hear things what frequencies we hear more than others and um i don't think that's that seems to be something that i think gets lost too that like we don't really consider when we're making bedroom recordings and just pressing a button yeah i mean it's you know i've mixed probably thousands of records now and so like all of that happened you know what i mean it's like it, it becomes subconscious right like i know what frequencies no one's ever going to hear so i don't go i don't go fucking with those right. you know and I, and I know what frequencies cause a certain type of distortion it's just habit at this point and like you know it's not to say that i'm special it's just that's what every recording engineer does right and if you're not doing that then don't call yourself a recording engineer that's yep. all i would say you know yep i'm with you so I have one last question in regards to Sidious School. Is Tech uh, really the shooter that he appears to be in, in the video for Best Laid Plants? Yeah, you know what? Um, he was balling, man. He was balling a lot harder than most of the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that shot that he hit at the end was completely real, and it only took one take. And nice. as soon as we got that shot, we were like, okay, well, that's a wrap. It's and, over, like, that's yeah. all, like It's all one shot, and we all walked off the court knowing that, like, you know, it was kind of like this obvious thing of like, wow, he nailed the three. Yeah. We all have to leave immediately. <laughs> yeah. Like it wasn't really planned, but it just like ended up being filmed perfectly. So, uh, yeah, he's got some skills, man. He's, he's not to be trifled with on the, on the basketball court. Was that, was that video fun to make? I watched that and I thought, man, this looks like these guys had a lot of fun. It was fun, man. When, when Tech rolled up, he was in town for, a for a show as well, um, that was shot down in the D.C. area, in okay. the Virginia, D.C. area. And um, he was in town for a show that night, and he did the video with us during the afternoon. And he showed up, and whoever was driving him around, like, had, like, that black Hummer. And they were like, hey, you want us <laughs> to drive the Hummer onto the fucking basketball court? And we were like, fuck yeah, we do. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's one of my favorite rap memories, you know. If, yeah. I, can, if I can be rapping in front of a Hummer, I'm doing something right. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, no doubt. That was definitely a fun day, yeah, for sure. It definitely came through.
It's a long way to go when you don't know where you're going. You don't know where you're going when you're lost. It's a long way to go when you don't know where you're going. You don't know where you're going when you're lost. What you need is more direction and get yourself some protection. I thought by now that you had learned your lesson. I'm stressing points and slamming all the joints. You call the real shit correction. You know the bust the way you feel shit, baby. I still don't think you understand. You lose the game. We get more props than Dan. Rather, and it don't matter because when you flex, you're weak. So I'm a step just to speak about the counterfeit. Unlegit type of people. Those cellophane ones, the ones that you can see through. It's poetic justice because I'm mad with the pack. So precise, my insight will take flight in the night and in the daytime. Because I don't come up with corny rhymes. I'm too devoted to the concept of getting mine. So here's the deal like Shaquille O'Neal. If you don't know what you're doing, how the hell can you be real? All right. So NASA, you asked uh, that we talk we talk a little bit about Gangstar's Hard to Earn tonight. Yeah, for sure. So uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what what caused you to pick that album. You know, it's my favorite Gangstar album, and Guru was one of my favorite MCs. Mm. Um, you know, Guru was really ahead of his time in terms of his flow. You know, his laid back style um, is pretty commonplace maybe not commonplace, but, but certainly way more common than it was then. Yeah, yeah definitely Like, at that now. time, yeah. he was one of the few people to do that. You know, right. and he came from an era where, like, you know, Big Daddy Kane was the norm. You yeah. know? Right. And yeah, it was right. just, like, hype. You right. know? And then he grew into an era where, you know, his peers at the time were, like, Doth Effects. You know? Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. you know, people that were, like, much, you know, naughty by nature. Like, groups that were, like, super animated and... Mm-hmm there's certainly a place for all of that and that stuff was dope. But like, I don't think that guru was appreciated at the time. I think that there was a lot of talk at the time and you guys probably would remember this too. Like, you know, that like Gangstar was about the beats and right. you know, mm-hmm. this, that, and the third. Yeah. And you know, the way that he worked with those beats is what made people really understand those beats. You know, he was almost mm-hmm. like a translator for those beats and the yeah. way that he approached them. Yeah. And and the way that other people approach them. And um, I think um, these days he would probably be a lot more appreciated, not just for being in Gangstar, being Guru, or for any of his lyrics, but for his approach to how he gets on a track. Yeah. Because, you know, you see lots of other MCs, including myself, you know, having that approach. You know, City at School was sort of like, one of my more rap heavy records, you know? Um, but you know, a lot of times like I'm, I'm really chilling the cut when I'm rapping. And, um, and that's something that I didn't realize that sort of, I got influence from guru Mm -hmm. from until years later. And then I was like, Oh wow. Like this is, I would hear guru and be like, wow. Like somewhere in me, this influence landed, you know, Mm -hmm. that this is the way that you, that you attack a cut. Yeah. you know, to make it really work. And that's why I chose the record. And, you know, I remember, um, I don't know if you guys remember this or not. I was thinking about this because I was thinking about coming on the show and talking about it. And I remember not having, I remember liking Gangstar a lot before Hard to Earn, but I remember not having the previous two albums own them. You know, like a friend yeah. had them, so we listened to it. Yeah. And I feel like I remember Gangstar albums costing more than other albums. Hmm. Like, I feel like, and when you're like 14 or 15, like the difference between 9.99 and 14.99 is like an eternity. A hell of a lot. Um, it's like a hell of a lot of money because you know if you're a real nerd like I was, like you know that's like 2.99 cent tapes that you can get, you know, hell or some yeah. shit like that. Um, so like I don't remember having, and I remember the Gangstar stuff costing a little bit more, uh, probably because it was like on like Chrysalis, which wasn't like a, a larger label or whatever. Who knows? Or maybe I'm just remembering remembering that wrong. But what I say that to say is like I remember I used to get like those BMG things, you know, where you yeah. would you'd you'd be able to send a penny on a postcard right. and get <laughs> yeah. like fourteen albums. Yes. And I remember getting Gangstar that way. I got hard to earn that way. <laughs> and when I put that C D in and heard like the beat drop for like a long way to go, it was like no gangstar I had ever heard, much less nothing else that I had ever heard. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean that beat is crazy and like premiere and, and guru to some extent even though they had done stuff like what's on hard to earn in, in patches like they were known more as like a jazz rap group even though 
mm-hmm. think they were harder than what that name sort of indicates. Yeah. Um, but like on hard to earn, there's a lot of moments of like bomb squad kind of production. Mm-hmm. You know, really discordant noise brought into patterns and harmonies, and um, I, and melodies, I should say. And um, and I, I, I just I love the record. So, you know. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about. Uh what you said earlier about how gurus like approach his voice and his flow, like really brought out the production. I think that's, yeah. a, I think that's a great point that like his, the his best example. Go, no, go ahead. I, I was just going to repeat myself. His like laid back, his laid <laughs> yeah. back sort of monotone flow, like really lets the, the production shine. Yeah. I mean, I, the best example of that is mass appeal. Yeah. Like mass appeal to me is a, perfect as perfect a rap song as there is uh, it's probably my favorite beat of all time from anybody like if yeah. you said like give me one beat that you have to listen to for the next two hours i would just put on mass appeal yeah um because there's just like something so perfect in like that one sample the the sort of semi arpeggio kind of feel to it mm-hmm. it loops over and over but it it feels new every time you hear that loop yeah and the way the drums are, it has like you know they're they're like pitch down drums. It has that like in the background that forms the bass line, yeah. and it it's like gritty but clean at the same time. Mm. And then Guru, hearing like how much is how many notes there are in that, you know, because that has that dun 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 dun, and it's got like all those notes every four bars. He's just like going straight. You know, his style is so conversational. Yeah. Like you're yes. like you're sitting and talking to him and shooting yes. the shit. Like he's just like your your weird drunk uncle, you know, and he's just like, <laughs> you know, give it trying to trying to school you on something. Yeah. And like that was like his whole approach. Um, or at least how it felt to me, especially being a younger person. And like, you know, Mass Appeal is just a beautiful song. It's it's perfect. Yeah. You know. Shit, I break kids, step into my zone, mad rhymes will stifle ya. Lines like rifles go blast when I kick some ass. A lot of rappers be like one-time wonders. Couldn't say a fly rhyme if there was one right under their noses. I hate those motherfucking poses, but I'm so real to them, it's scary. And with my unique skills, nah, you can't compare me. And no, we don't make whack tracks. And all the suckers get pushed back when I'm kicking real facts. I represent, set up shit like a tech boy. You're paranoid cause you're a son like Elroy. And you'd be happy as hell to get a record deal. Maybe your soul you'd sell to have massive yeah it is like it it was like guru was like talking but also on that track in particular like dancing around dancing around the sounds in the production somehow Mm -hmm. yeah real smooth they were just so much on the same page during this period you know i mean you know stephanie arena um what was the record that came after that um daily operation take a person take a personal um, yeah take a personal yeah. you know um this record uh hard to earn and then moment of truth um you know that's a four album run that's really nobody can really fuck with yeah um it'd be hard pressed to find anyone that had a four album run like that you know yeah. To the point where, like, those three, those first three albums were so good that, like, I feel like when Moment of Truth dropped, it did really well commercially, but it almost was slept on legacy-wise. But now when you listen to Moment of Truth, it's like, oh, wow, this was just as good as those other records. Yeah, it's really dope album. You know. And 94 in particular was such a great year for Premiere. I mean, hard to earn and uh, come clean and just doing stuff outside of the foundation, too. Yeah, I mean, this... This record style, like, was indicative of what he was doing with, like, Living Proof from Group Home and, and right. the, the 2J records and the stuff that he had done for MOP, like, in the patches yeah. where he would produce some stuff for them. They were more aggressive, you know, um, electronic sample, you know, synth sample kind of beats, you know, that kind of broke him away from sort of like that that classical jazz sort of flip. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, just like... 
I mean, when you hear the Simpy time code, and then you know it's Premiere, you know, and you know it's this time period of Premiere too. So yeah, were you a fan of uh, Guru's Jazzmatazz work? You know, I need to go back to it. I I was a fan of the first one and part of the second one. I'm saying this as a person I heard it back then when I was like not even 20 yet. And it's funny, like since I've been on Spotify, like it's been throwing some Jazzmatazz stuff on me, even like late Jazzmatazz. Like I heard like some songs from Jazzmatazz four. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this is actually pretty good. Like I had never <laughs> heard that stuff. I didn't even know they got up to four. To be totally honest, but like, um, you know, he was. He was, you know, good to the day, you know, that he passed, yeah. you know? I mean, obviously everybody has their favorites and things that they don't like about any artist um, musically, but, I mean, there were moments, even much long after too many people stopped listening to him consistently, that he was still nailing it. It's just, like I said before, like, you know, it's, it's really, well, how many people get the opportunity to dislike something? You know, when when things don't get the attention they deserve, nobody can really judge it. So, yeah. But I, I liked I liked some of the Jazzmatazz stuff. You know, I I definitely liked the Gangstar stuff better, and um, it was obviously more cohesive and it was produced by Premier. You know, and Premier is like a real producer, and you can tell because like you know when you hear Guru outside of Premier, it is different. Yeah. You know, I still mm-hmm. enjoy it because it's still Guru for the most part, but. When it's with Premiere, when it's Gangstar, it did have a different feel and a different kind of um, level of like um, precision to it, I think. I don't think I was really aware how much production Guru did himself. Like when we were, we did an episode about collage, Bahamadia's collage. Mm. When, when I started looking into that a little deeper, uh, like noticed, oh, Guru had his hand in production, a couple tracks on there, which I didn't really know. Yeah, he produced a lot. Like, Ill Kid has a large catalog. And the other thing that's sort of little known about, um, excuse me, about Guru is um, I read, I remember reading stuff about Guru probably around the time when he passed away. And um, they were talking about how, like, his age and how he was perceived because of his looks and because of the time that he came out as being, like, significantly younger than, like, the pioneers that came before him, like people like Run DMC or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was actually the same age as Run DMC. Hmm. Like, and I remember reading something to the effect of like that he was always like, um, you know, sort of conscious of that. Yeah. And I, I think Guru, you know, it's kind of a rough way to say like he had a chip on his shoulder. Or he just had an edge about him from what I'm hearing, you know, Premier saying interviews and other people saying interviews about him that he always was pushing and trying, you know, to get considered to be one of the greats. You know, he, he considered himself one of the greats. But I think the the unfortunate thing is, like, his style and his approach, um, like I was saying earlier, flow-wise, was just, it just was, and I think that it's entirely about that more than anything else because his voice is undeniable and his lyrics on his classic work is as good as anyone else. But, like, you know, his his approach was not appreciated yet. You know, today, you know, you've got, you know, more laid back artists, you know, that are that are making great music like Ka or Rock Marciano or Evidence yes. or people like that. And and there's probably lots more that even do it in a different context, you know, like guys that are doing like more mainstream music that have a laid back flow, you know, mainstream by today's standards yeah. that have a more laid back flow that I might not be familiar with. But all of that sort of comes from from Guru at least being the pioneer of that stocks yeah. like it it is hard to go back like that context then was all like people were just jumping up and down and you know what i mean like yeah, it was just yeah. like that kind of era and there was a place for that too but it just you know guru wasn't appreciated enough for like what he brought musically to premier's beats and any beat that he was on by letting those beats breathe you know how do you feel about the new gangstar album and and them releasing it without Guru being here? Um, I think it's great that it exists. And, and I'm really happy to have heard it. And I'm really happy that they made it. Uh, you know, and I, I say they to some degree because I, I feel like Guru, you know, would not have, you know, I've heard people theorize, like, you know, the circumstances under which those recordings were made. You know, he was, if, if nothing else, he was passionate about everything he recorded and made, even the later era stuff. 
you know, that that wasn't involved with Guru, that was more controversial, you know, um, with with Solar or what have you. Um, I'm sure that if you went up to him in the studio during that time period when he was like on a hiatus from from premiere, he would have believed in whatever he was making as much as anything he had done in the rest of his career. You know, whether the response would have been the same is, is a whole other story. But in terms of his confidence level, I'm sure he loved it all. Yeah. So I don't really have a problem with them using these. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think he would have loved it. I think yeah. he would have been like, yeah, put this out. And I think there's a lot of stuff that is really great. I mean, um, you know, from a distance with, with J. Rue is as classic as it gets. You know, it's, it's perfect. And, like, Diamonds, you know, conceptually sounds like anything he would have done. You know, other songs on there where... You know, he never he's never sounding offbeat or like it's a remix to me. Right. But there are moments on the record probably where you could tell he was rapping to a beat that did a very different thing, hmm. you know, intensity-wise. That would be my only thing. But I, I, you know, and there's some, some songs on there that are kind of whatever. But for the most part, I really like that it exists and I like that it's out. And I'm really glad that they made it. You know, um, I think it's dope. And. You know, I, the way it was concepted and, you know, the title is perfect and uh, the artwork cover is looks like he's still alive, you know? Like, yeah. it looks like he took that picture yesterday. So. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we were saying the other day, it feels like a stepping in a time machine. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I hope that there's more. You know, I hope it's not a case where, like, you know, the stuff that was purchased off of his other producer, like, this was the best of the best and the rest of it is just kind of not worth putting out i hope that they actually like have more to do I, I i heard that discussed on another show where people were talking about whether they should you know what whether they would want another one and i'm just like give me as many gangster albums because <laughs> i'm gonna get at least one or two songs off of there that i think are, are phenomenal and, and yeah i'm totally fine with that you know i think what was so dope about the album being released is is fans reaction like it it, it it just, you know, like grown ass men immediately becoming teenagers again and just being so fucking excited about a gangstar album coming out. So so for me, like that was really dope to see, um, like just like the community's response to um, the album coming out. Yeah, I mean, gangstar is one of those groups that you got in line for to get their record. Yeah. I mean, I remember moment of truth did really well like it it was a big i remember that that charted number six on billboard overall like not just the rap charts or the r&b charts like that was number six in the country Mm. uh behind the single royalty and that was at a time when that really meant something Mm -hmm. you know that was like 1997 so you're talking about physical units being sold yeah the first week it came out and I remember going to Rock and Soul in Brooklyn to get it on vinyl, and they were sold out. And I had to wait two or three weeks before the vinyl came back. Hmm. Like, you know, and, and that was the kind of, like, dedication that they had from their fans. So, like, you know, being able to take that trip down memory lane for the folks that you're talking about, E, like, for, for you know, to that's the feeling that's being rekindled. You yeah. can't really replace that. If you didn't live sure. that, You'll never know what it is. Exactly. You know, now people have memories about people, like, surprise dropping their albums, you know, and it's like, that's fine. But, like, that's not, you know, the the amount of planning and hype and and buzz that went into, like, knowing something was coming and then having to hunt it down is kind of irreplaceable. And Gangstar did that. They really did that. Yeah. Sad. Can't get that back. Yeah, I mean, you get taste of it, you know. I mean, the cool thing about the new record is... You know, kids today are very smart. You know, um, mm-hmm. if they, kids, I think younger cats today, more so than the maybe the generation in between this one and, and mine, um, are less like knee jerk to hate older stuff. Mm-hmm. And I th- think if there's like a little bit of buzz going on about gangster, like kids are like intellectually curious enough to be like, what is this actually? And they'll go and, all you know, the way back. Today yeah. it's so. Yeah, I mean, today it's so easy. It's not just like, oh, well, is a kid really going to go on iTunes and go buy Hard to Earn? Well, no. You know, is a kid going to hunt down the CD? Maybe. 
But what they will do is they'll add it, you know, to their Spotify or when they shuffle listen to, um, you know, when they shuffle listen on a streaming service to the mm-hmm. new album, you know, that service is going to throw in a couple of songs from, you know, Hard to Earn or whatever it is, and they get exposed to it. And, yeah, you know, I mean, the, the world doesn't live and die by whether an 18-year-old knows what Gangstar is. <laughs> you know, I, I fully understand that that's not, you know, <laughs> one of the more pressing issues for us. Um, but it's cool that, that, that it's easy for that to happen these days, you know. Get down and dirty and my sounds are worthy of respect So I'ma flex my text It's like a major takeover Chumps pass the mic over Growing more and more nervous when I serve this ass whooping Coming straight out of Brooklyn Ball head from the old school Born the rule with more class than Billy D To a pussy MC You know I'm wuss MC I'm like his worst nightmare when I'm on my killing spree Pick the vic who will it be? Your vote may hold the key It's up to you Tell us true so I'm thinking more about you and your career and, and legacy, if you will. Word. And I know, uh, you know, thinking about your history, I know you, you were involved with Ozone and Def Jux and, you know, went on to do your own thing with your own label. I'm wondering how you think about your own, like, impact or influence on the culture through, throughout all of that. I try to make it as strong and as consistent as possible. You know, uh, I do think about legacy probably more than I should, <laughs> more than more than normal people do. I mean, you know, I'm an only child. Um, I don't have kids. Uh, my music and, and my artistic output is everything to me. Mm. Um, you know, I take it very seriously uh, with the utmost seriousness. You know, I, I, I take it maybe too seriously for certain people to handle, you know, um, and I, I put a lot of thought into what I do. I try to create something that I'm really proud of. I try to create something that I think the harshest critics would be would be proud of. You know, and, and that's the kind of art that I make. You know, it's up to people and the subjectivity of people to decide whether they like it or not. But in mm-hmm. terms of what I feel about my stuff, you know, I know that I'm putting my all into it. And I'm trying to fill a void that I hear that I don't feel other people doing. Mm-hmm. Um you know, or else I'm just doing something everyone else is doing. And, yeah. and you know, I, I was fortunate enough to be involved in with a lot of people that, you know, were a couple years my senior that, that had that approach at a young age, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, um, whether it was at Ozone or Jooks. You know, I, I worked with a lot of people that had that mentality, and I come from that cloth and that scene and that era and that time period where that's how you approach music, especially if you're an independent musician. Yeah. And, uh, and I carry that and, you know, being able to kind of bridge this, this long timeline that I've been involved in because I started young in doing this, I was given the opportunity to, you know, it's like, you know, breaking into the league real, you know, at 18, you know, like instead of a 22, you know, I was able to be involved in, in some big records and some classic stuff before I was even 20. And, you know, I then was able to start really making my own music, like, into my late 20s and 30s and 40s. And, like, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's an honor to be involved in, in hip-hop this deeply. And, you know, my love and my passion for it is the reason why I do it. And there's no other reason that I have. You know, it's just the drive. Yeah. And so it is important to me. It's, you know, you know I don't want to, like, overstate it, but I also would say that it is something that I think about um, when I make a record. So what motivated you to publish a book? Um, You know, I got approached to do that um, by the publisher, uh, Rhyme Press. Um, Rhyme Press is run out of the UK. Yeah. And they had done a a similar book with with Sack, Mm -hmm. who is out, um, he's a West Coast MC, Mm -hmm. and uh, then they followed up and and wanted to approach me. And... um, they had heard, uh, the publisher had heard uh, Written at Night, first and foremost, okay. and then he had, he was, the publisher was also familiar with some of my other work and just thought that it would work. And, like, Ryan Press's whole ideal is to take 
um, rap lyrics and put them into books that are like chapbooks, like poetic chapbooks. And I love that. Yeah. And, um, you know, to frame it that way. So when you see the way that my, my stuff is laid out or how Satchez is for his book and then Bean Touch from Antipop did a book with him, with, with them after, um, after mine. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, how those are all laid out is like chapbooks. And, and right around the time when, when I was approached to do that, um, I had started writing short fiction and really started to take that seriously. And mm-hmm. so, and I continue to, um, you know, and um, I was able to put two short stories in the book along with some lyrics that were either unreleased or also released that had never been printed before. Mm-hmm. And I was really appreciative of being able to to, to do that. I, I want to do more. Like, I want to, to publish more um, stories and, and, you know, if anyone's interested, I'm here. But, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, it is something that I continue to, to seek out, and, and I do still write. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm down to, like, print. You know, the City of School actually has my lyrics in the CD booklet. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole booklet inside has all the lyrics for the whole record, including the, the guests. And, um, you know, but uh, it's definitely worth checking out Rhyme Press. They do amazing work. Yeah. And uh, I hope that they continue. I was honored to do it. And uh, the book is called Withering, um, and uh, it's named after one of the two short stories that's in it. Such a dope concept. That kind of bravery is amazing. Driven by love, seemingly unfazing. And it's desire in their eyes. What I admire is their lives The passion of independence While keeping a bond that's transcendent While not looking for approval It's earned in every attempt to move you With the stripes or circles, it's the same color Alpha masculine buckles still hug you Born with the soul of the best person Causing me to reflect and be my best version Calling a wild like a lion I seen you survive, I seen you thriving. Old cats, nothing short of inspiring. And if they go out, when they go out, it's firing. You can write about kids, but it's the old cats. This was a really good conversation. I'm glad you were able to join us tonight. Um, and have fun going to Queens. Remember, oh, yeah. you're a really good friend. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Yeah, exactly. That's that's exactly what I'll be remembering as I drive out there. <laughs> as you're cursing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But no, seriously, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. This was a great, uh, this was a great conversation. Yeah. yeah, no problem. Thank you both. Thank you for all the good questions. Yeah, of course. Uh, um, any information for people who are looking for, for you or your work? Um, just uncommonnasa.com uh, is the best place to go. Place to go. I, I update that all the time. I'm on Instagram, of course, but uh, the website is really what I push to try to get people to actually leave social media yeah. <laughs> as I possibly can. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, everything is there, you know, links to the new album and, and you know, newsfeed and all that stuff is there for people. Okay, cool. cool. So uncommonnasa.com. People can yep. also check out the Dope Shit podcast. Which is yep. like everywhere, right? You can get that anywhere. Yeah, it's on iTunes and Spotify and Google and all those places. Um, you know, it's got like a explanation point for the I. Right. Um, you know, technically, if you're looking for it. So, uh, but yeah, Dope Shit Podcast as well. Perfect cool. name for a podcast. <laughs> that was Banana's idea. That's why. That's why I drive the Queens for this guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm E. I'm Rob. And this has been The Next Movement. Thanks to our guests on Common NASA. Peace, y'all. It's not a scheme, it's a plan. Sometime in the mid-90s, location in the mid-60s. We found a spot in the newspaper. Buried in the village voice where everyone was AAA. We traveled uptown thinking we had a plan to pay our way. Thus we had no dough, so we decided to take the train Staring out those windows to an unfamiliar place We found the address, something like 168 
took the stairs in the walk of something like 5A When the door opened, we were witness to this man's decay But we ended anyway to see what records we could take Records in the kitchen, cockroaches in the sink Just there for a minute, we approached this man's brink I asked about his bitches through, maybe I can get it cheap he said, buddy, that's a 20, and what the hell you think? What's the difference we were gonna resell anyway? We had the vision, start the mail order business on Saturday. Look at what he's got, look at all this stuff. We're gonna make so much money off of these. He doesn't even know what the word. He's relics from another time. I feel like a relic from another time. Best laid plans, history doesn't repeat it rhymes.